if you have your Bibles, please, would you turn to Luke 7? I spoke last, uh, I think it was last Sunday morning from Luke 7, and I'd like to speak this evening from Luke 7, and I'm back with you again, God willing, uh, Sunday week, and uh, I'll still be in Luke 7 then. So um, I'd like to read to you about the raising of the widow of Nain's son, if I may, and um, hopefully it will be helpful and that way. So let me read to you. Luke chapter 7, I'm reading from verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Lord, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I need to pray. Father, we ask you to help us this evening not only to understand this story, which is relatively simple, but to have you speak to us through it. None of us, Lord, tonight are the finished product. Every one of us could be more like Jesus than we are. And we pray that our devotions tonight may be a contribution to that ongoing process of Christ being formed in us. We thank you for our visitors who are here tonight. And they indeed are our guests of honour. It's not the preachers, it's not the singers. Our guests are the guests of honour. And we pray that they will feel at home with us. And again, Lord, dare we ask that you speak to them as well. Amen. Amen. Lovely. So let's just, I'd like to just walk through this story, if I may, with you. I must say that some years ago I preached on this. I I came away from this story, and the preachers here may know what I mean. I I just felt it was quite lightweight. I just thought it's not a, a great passage to preach from and then I revisited it and as often the case um, so much more seemed to come out of it that I found helpful and maybe you might find helpful as well the story begins Jesus had been the healing of the centurion servant says soon afterwards Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him I'd like to ask you a question right at the beginning Luke here differentiates between the disciples and the large crowd. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. The strange thing is, you couldn't have told who the disciples were or who the large crowd was. You couldn't tell them. Disciples don't float off the ground. They don't, you know, look odd. Although I must say tonight, no, no, you're all right. Um, (laughs) You know, they they don't look any different. So in this group, Luke distinguishes between the disciples and the large crowd. Now, the the people following were not bad. Most commentators say the disciples were, of course, the 12 in that way. But it just made me think a little bit. If If you're a follower of Jesus, are you a disciple of his or are you just part of the crowd? I'd like to say that since I became a Christian in my, as a teenager, that every day I've walked with Jesus and my life has been constantly a blessing and a, a living for his glory. Sadly, that's not been the case. 
I've got to say there were times when my discipleship was the, the important thing. And in that story, I had been one of the disciples, but there were times I was just part of a crowd. You wouldn't have known the difference, but the Lord knew. I followed him, I was part of the crowd, but I couldn't really have called myself a disciple at that time. And I'd like to, right at the very beginning, bring a challenge of me, first of all, to every Christian here. Are you a disciple or are you just part of the crowd? Now, the answer is very simple. The answer isn't through the laying on of hands. The, the answer isn't through anything else. It really is a decision from you and me that from now on we are going to follow Christ as disciples and not part of the crowd. What is your level of discipleship? May I say that whatever it is, you know, please, let's all not be part of the crowd, but let's really be disciples of the Lord Jesus. And a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother and she a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So we have two large crowds. We have a large crowd, as Luke tells us, following Jesus. He always had a crowd. People followed him for all sorts of reasons. They followed him because he fed them um, with fish and loaves. He followed them because he taught them. They followed him for all sorts of reasons. And so here we have two large crowds coming. One is following Jesus. A large crowd went along with him. And a large crowd from the town was part of the funeral cortege. Again, what crowd would you be part of? Would you have been part of the crowd that were following Jesus? Would you think of yourself as a Christian? Would you be following the Prince of Life as they were, as they headed towards Nain? Or would you have been part of that crowd who came along, please, hearts right, seeking to comfort the widow, seeking to understand, being part of the, the, the culture and the tradition to be part of that funeral? And I dare to say, there are people here tonight who are not yet followers of Jesus. You say to me, Gordon, I've got to tell you now, I, I think I'm in the crowd following the hearse. I think I'm in the crowd following that. I don't think I'm a follower of Jesus. May I say that you can make a decision to do that. You can decide to leave the crowd that's following the hearse and join the crowd that's following Jesus. For me, that happened as a teenager when I transferred my trust from myself and all the failure that involved and put my trust in Jesus Christ. I realized that Jesus Christ gave himself for me upon the cross. For years I'd tried to be good and failed and failed and failed. Then it dawned on me, that's why he died. Because I couldn't ever reach an acceptable standard for God. And Jesus said, Gordon, you'll never do it. Let me do it for you. And he gave himself upon the cross. And it may be tonight that you're part of that crowd, following the hearse, not following the prince of life, but following, sadly, a victim of death. Consider that. A little later I may come back to that point and ask you to make a response. So it's quite a, quite a scene, really. We have a crowd coming from over here, following Jesus. We have a crowd over here, following the widow who had come and had lost her son. No sense of tension. There was no, nothing happened. There was no thought of anything else. There just happened to be two crowds. 
One, covered with, one full of joy at following Jesus, another full of sadness at the bereavement. It's amazing how the scripture gives us so much information in a very short space of time. It says there, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. And then it says, the only son of his mother and she a widow. In those few lines, we see the tragedy of this situation. There's no one here who, if we had been part of this, would not have our thoughts gone out. We find that she was not only a, a widow, in other words, at some point she had already visited the cemetery with, with her following her husband. As in the village, she would have been in the same cemetery. And now she was following the same cortege, this time with her son. And then the poignant word is, only son of her mother. This woman was bereft. This woman had nowhere to fall back on. When her husband died, she could take comfort from her son. I don't know the age of he was when her husband died, but he was there. And even a handshake or a squeeze of a hand from that little boy would have comforted her. Or he was a big lump. He could have been the breadwinner of the house, her protection, her provider. No insurance, no pensions, none of the things that we are aware of today. With the demise of this boy, her future plummeted. Oh, the, the crowd came out from the town. But I'd like to think they would have helped her. I hope they would, but she was the responsibility of family. Families looked after families. And now she had no one. And I think that's probably the key to this miracle, that very phrase, only son. But we'll look at that later. So as he approached the town gate, a dead person being carried out, the only son of his mother and she a widow, a large crowd from the town was with her. So what happens now? The two crowds meet. What's going to happen? As I say, there's no tension, there's no thought of anything else. And then Jesus speaks up. He says these words, the Lord saw her and his heart went out to her. Do you know, friends, this sounds almost so obvious that you'll think, oh, why have we brought him all the way from Derby to say this? Jesus has a heart. Jesus cares. Jesus is aware of every situation you are in. There's times my wife and I have sat and watched the news and a news item comes on and I can see that she's been emotionally touched by that story and it's not affected me in the same way. There may be another item will come another evening when I will be affected by that news item and, and she won't. It just depends on what affects our hearts or our emotions at that time. But it tells us very simply what happened within Jesus. The Lord saw her and his heart went out to her. This wasn't some casual, oh dear, what a sad story. Oh dear. Poor lady. Oh, and it's her only son. Oh dear, things will be difficult. Judas, will you give us some money? And Judas said no. But, you know, it wasn't a matter of let's have a whip round for her. This affected Jesus. This affected him through to his heart. In fact, we tell Luke says there, then the Lord saw her. I believe, and I'll stand to be corrected because there's folk here in other Bibles better than I will, that it's only Luke that uses this phrase, the Lord. And he said, the Lord, which is important, saw her. 
and his heart went out to her. Luke reminds us that the one whose heart is being moved, the one whose heart is being touched with the situation is none other than the Lord. It wasn't a neighbor or a friend. Lots of people in that group their hearts went out to her. They felt sorry for her. The reason they turned up to the funeral was because they wanted to identify with her in her grief. But this one was the one who had the name, the Lord. And so many times my heart's gone out to people, but I've not been able to do anything about it. But when the Lord turns up, he is always, if he wills, able to do something about it. And the, this meeting took place here and it began with something happening within Christ his heart went out to her and he said don't cry part of my previous responsibilities um, was as a regional superintendent was to do some training with our ministers and training and I've got to say what Jesus does next if a minister in training in my region was to do this I think I'd have to have a word with him I'd be a private word but I'd have a word with him Jesus now breaks every rule to do with the bereaved. I'll explain what I mean. First of all, he comes to her and he says to her, don't cry. What a ridiculous thing to say. What a ridiculous thing to say to a mother who's lost her son, don't cry. And if one of our ministers in training walked into a funeral and a woman was crying because she was a widow and lost her son and he said to her, don't cry, I think I'd have a word with him. I think I'd pull him aside and I'd say, excuse me, you don't know what that lady's gone through. You see, tears are not a sign of defeat. Tears are not a sign of lack of faith. Tears and bereavement is only love without the one you love being there. That's what bereavement is. It's love. And she, he said to her, don't cry. And I'm thinking, Lord, that's a bit hard because that may be all that she had was her tears. That was the only thing that would allow it to flow out. We know in the Revelation, you know, when Christ returns and in heaven our tears will be wiped away. We know that. We know that. But at this moment, I think this woman had every right to cry. And I'll tell you now, I'm not sure. And of course I will correct it in a moment whether this was the right thing to said. So he said to her, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. That's the second thing I think he seemed to do wrong. First of all, he told the lady not to cry. Wrong. And then he went and stopped the funeral. Now, I'm told, I did a little bit of reading around this, that the, the funerals would have been fairly quick. They would have been moving along a little bit. Now, my, let me tell you now, uh, my, my family are Irish. Now, if you went to one of my family, one of my uncles had died and a stranger came up and stopped the funeral, the brothers would have said something, and it wouldn't have been in Gaelic. <laughs> they'd have said, who are you? Who are you? Who's this fellow interrupting? Who's this? And they would have been, they'd have sorted it out. In fact, I can remember when my father died. I was the pastor of our church in Brecon. My father and mother lived in Mill Hill then. And um, I remember they died. And when I got to the church, all the deacons from the Brecon church had driven down to my father's funeral. Wasn't that lovely? We walked in the church and there were, some of those men had never been outside of Wales. Brecon's in mid Wales, by the way. And they were all sat there and I honor those men for that. And um, we came back to the house for some refreshments after the service. And my sister would come out from the kitchen with a tray of whiskey. 
and um, the deacons were in the back room and the Irish uncles were in the front room. So my sister had come out with a tray of whiskey and say, front room. So she'd take the whiskey. And then she'd bring out a tray of tea, I'd say, the back room, where the deacons were. Do you know what? I've often wondered what would happen if we got those trays mixed up. <laughs> the Irish boys having a cup of tea and the Welsh deacons... Anyway, we won't go there. But you know you don't interrupt funerals. People say things. People are on edge. There's, I've seen <laughs> rows at crematoriums. People are very, very upset and they don't know how to handle it sometimes and it comes out in emotion. And this stranger puts his hand on the coffin and says, stop, stop. Well, please, ministers in training, don't. Our job is to help the family along. Our job is to, and I don't mean this to be unkind, our job is to help them begin the funeral and bring it to a conclusion so they can continue to rebuild their lives. And here we have Jesus saying, don't cry. Huh? We're now having Jesus interrupt the funeral. And if that wasn't more, he decides to talk to the corpse. <laughs> I mean, if any of our ministers training speak to corpses and they don't rise, I'll have a word with them. <laughs> if they do rise, I will not speak another word to them. But it's, it seems, friends, all wrong. It seems wrong. Telling her not to cry, stopping the cortege, and then turning around and speaking to the corpse. It all seems wrong till you understand who it was. Luke said, the Lord. If I do it, it's wrong. If you do it, it's wrong. When Jesus does it, it's right. It's right. Because he had the ability... He had the ability, no, he had the authority to do something about this. Well, the story continues. He went up and touched a coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Wow. I wonder how long that was. I wonder, talk about a pregnant pause. I wonder just how long it was between him saying it and the young man coming back to life. Well, I don't think it was very long, but it was there. May I just say, in the NIV Bible, it talks about a coffin. Now, there's going to be somebody here who's going to be thinking to themselves, you know, um, did he bang his head on the lid? Well, there was no lid. It was possibly a stretcher or possibly a wicker basket that would not have had a lid. So the young man was able to sit up. It's not like in our country, but we'd have a casket in that way. And so he comes and he speaks. And the widow has said nothing. There's been no talk of faith like the centurion. There's been no talk of being worthy or unworthy. There's, she's doing nothing. She's standing there. And surely there must be some other ingredient to this story. Surely, you know, maybe RT's, well, he will have better notes than this, I know. But what is it we're missing? There's no talk here of prayer. There's no explanation. He just says, stop crying, stand still, get up. And the crowd must have gone round the room. What is happening? Not round the room, round the place. And it says there, the dead man sat up. Now, I can prove to you that this man was an Irishman. 
because when he sat up, he began to talk. <laughs> he began to talk. I don't know what he'd have done if he'd been an American, but I mean, as an Irishman, he began. That was the first thing. It's interesting to note in Scripture that whenever Jesus is involved in the resurrection, there's always something else with it. So, for example, Jairus' daughter, he said, give her something to eat. With this young man, he began to talk. With Lazarus, it was letting him, he walked about. It was almost as if Jesus added some physical proof that the person was now alive. In other words, dead people don't talk, dead people don't walk about, and dead people don't eat. And so this little thing, he began to talk. You think, well, why, why, why put that in? Well, because it was a proof that this young man had come back to life. Because dead people don't talk. Jairus' daughter began to eat. And Lazarus, they said, let him, let, him, let him loose, so let him go. He walked about, as we know, and lived for some period of time. And so the crowd must have been excited. The crowd of disciples must have been praising the Lord. The crowd of the mourners must be thinking, I took a day off work for this. <laughs> and the thing's been gone. It's not longer a fruit. I told my boss I was coming to a funeral. And the young man is now alive. And the dead man, I, I said you'd get up, and the dead man sat up and began to talk. And then, if I may say this, I think this next piece, every preacher will have a different line, but I think this is what it's all about. This is why... There was no talk of faith. There was no talk of this. What was motivated? Well, I think it was being motivated by compassion. I think Jesus decided, I think he had the Father's permission, the Father's authority to do as he wished in this situation. Even if the woman didn't say anything or the woman hadn't got faith or she hadn't whatever, it, it was out of the way. He felt for her, his heart and his compassion rose above any theology that might be dashing around out there, and he decided to step in and restore this son to her. And what a lovely phrase. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that beautiful? Here you are, mother. Here he is. I don't need him, he's yours. And all the fears about, I'm alone. You know, forgive me, no grandchildren. I don't know the story. I'm just preaching a bit here, you know, making a bit. I don't know the back story to it all, but everything seemed to end. And he turned round and he gave him back to, not to the crowd. Please, I'll tell you now, if this woman had been bringing out her son on her own, this miracle would still have happened. It wasn't for the crowd. I don't believe it was the, for the crowd at all. I don't believe it was the... Other things happened, which I will sketch you in just a moment. It was because his heart went out to her. And I think to myself, why was she singled out for this? What was it? Were there not other funerals around? Surely somewhere else, something like this may have been taking place. And I'd like to put forward just a thought. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. It's allowed. I think he did this because he was thinking of his own mother Mary. 
I think he saw her coming out with this son who had died. And he thought, not long from now, my mother is going to follow my body to that sepulchre. Not long from now, my mother is going to see me taken to the cross and be butchered there. And she's going to come and she's going to put me. I, I just wonder whether when he saw her, his heart went out and thought, that's Mary's going to go through this. Joseph had died. Now, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. We know that. that that's a, without dispute. But so many of them didn't really seem to have the faith that some of the family had. And I just wonder, when his heart went out to her, he was thinking of his own mother, who one day would follow him to the grave. One day that would happen. And he brought him back to life for her and gave him back to his mother. Just as the father would raise the son on the third day and Jesus would come back to life and would minister and would ascend and all that would follow on the blessing of God. Was this a picture of himself? Was he thinking that very soon that's going to be me? Very soon that's going to be my mum? And he thought, I can't have this woman go through what my mum's going to go through. So he intervened. Please, if you don't agree, I'm not saying I'm right. This is the great thing about scripture. You take home your Bible, you read it again, and if you come up with something else, hallelujah, email me and I'll, if it's any good, I'll stick it in the notes. You know? He gave him back to his mother. Well, there's going to be a reaction to this, isn't there? There's going to be a reaction. Something like this doesn't happen. I've never been to a funeral where there's been a resurrection. There's going to be. And of course, with this, the type of funeral, two big crowds in the open air and an open casket, wow, you can just imagine the electric atmosphere in this situation. And then it says there, they were all filled with awe. And praise God, I bet they did. A great, oh, I'm so disappointed with this line. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. Now, friends, I've got to say, I, I'm not being critical, really. I, well, I suppose I am, but not in a, a, a vindictive way. He says there, a great prophet has appeared amongst us. What must Jesus do before people will call him Messiah and Lord? What must they do? He's just raised a boy from the dead, a young man from the dead. You'd have thought, wouldn't you? Some would have said, Messiah, wouldn't you? Well, I would. If I saw a miracle like that, no one did. And they said, oh, a great prophet has come amongst us. And I've got to say, when first reading this, I was a bit critical. I thought, what on earth has Jesus got to do before people realise who he is? Then I realised that they were just reverting back to Scripture. They saw this miracle and their brains started to think. And most of them would have been Jewish people. Of course, most of them would have been Jewish people. And they would have known their Old Testament. And I think what happened is this. Their minds went back to when Elisha raised the boy, gave him back to his mother. 
You know, we have it in 2 Kings 4, Elijah, and 1 Kings 17, Elijah, and where boys were restored. You remember uh, the story there? Time won't allow me to go on. But they have a, a biblical precedence for, for thinking it's a prophet. Because prophets in the old, two of them, Elijah and Elisha, had raised the dead. And so they thought, wow, we've never seen anything like this before. And some bright spark who knew their Bible said, yes, we have. Don't you remember in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha? Do you not remember their miracles? Ah. So what they did was, they made a very quick decision as to who Jesus was on the basis of what they understood from the Old Testament. Now, you would think, well, that's biblical. Well, it was biblical, but it wasn't right. Yes, prophets did raise boys from the dead, but Jesus was more than a prophet. He was none other than the Son of God. And just coming to a conclusion, you've listened very well, may I say, on a very warm evening. They were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this is the exciting part for me. Now, this isn't why he did it. I don't believe this is why he did it. I don't believe for one minute Jesus did this to, for it to be an evangelistic tool. I believe it was a pure act of compassion of the father and the son towards this woman. It says there, this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This news about Jesus spread. I don't think that was why he did it. If you disagree, that's fine. I don't think he thought to himself, I will raise this boy from the dead and what an evangelic opportunity. I'm not being too sarcastic when I say this. Um, they did, he, Jesus didn't say to him, oh, I want you to come and tour with me. And, um, you know, big poster. Widow of Nain's son will give his testimony tonight. The boy who was dead. You know, there'll be a DVD, there'll be a book. The God Channel will rattle it out for months. You know, it would be the, the big thing. Did Jesus miss an opportunity? Surely he should have said to the woman, now let the boy travel with me because he is proof of who I am. No, 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 no. He didn't do it for evangelism. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for his mum. Isn't that good? That God will do things for you and me just because he loves us. There hasn't always got to be some great spooky earth-shattering plan. He might just look at you and say, I'm going to help you. I remember when I, oh, I'm reminiscing, that's a bad sign. You won't be home till about midnight now. I remember when I was pastoring the Brecon Church, I mentioned it earlier. I went to visit a man, it was a very small church, so this guy probably got visited nearly every day, you know, there weren't that many in the church. I could give his name, but I won't because of his family. And this man suffered from depression. Now, I've been fed up a few times, but I've never been depressed. And, um, I would go to visit his name. His name was uh, John. That'll do. And I'd go quite regularly to visit John. And I've got to say that after a few months, it became quite routine. I was still a caring pastor, but, you know, I would go in and chat to him. His family couldn't let him watch the news because if he watched the news, he would cry about all the sad things and he would be in a terrible... And one day, I went to visit him. 
And I go in, how are you? I think his name was Jack now. I'm sorry, it wasn't John, it was Jack. I'm remembering now. Jack. And I'm saying, how are you? And, you know, I'm going through it all and I'm doing my best and I'm having a cup. I always remember they used to give me a cup of tea with a saucer because I was the pastor. I prefer a mug because you get more in it. <laughs> but I re always remember that. I got a tea in China there. Lovely family. And we're going through the prayer. Well, Jack, I've got to go now, you know, so we'll have a little prayer. And we're praying, and I'm praying a very normal prayer. I'm not very spiritual, as you know. And um, when I said, he said, he said, he called you pastor back then. He said, pastor, God's just spoken to me. And I went, yes, that's nice. <laughs> Almost thinking, what did he say? And he said, God just said to me, Jack, you've had enough. And he was well there and then. And I could give you his surname. Was it my prayer? It certainly wasn't. Because I don't know if I had any faith. I'd been visiting, I thought, this guy, what? You know, I don't know what more to say, Lord. I've asked you and asked you and asked you. And it was almost just out of the blue, as it were. He said, God's just spoken to me. And I wasn't disbelieving, but I thought, that's interesting, you know. He said, just God said to me, you've had enough, Jack. And he was better. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's give him a clap. Sort the theology out, couldn't do it. I didn't lay hands on him, though I don't know what was happening. I think it was a touch of the, quite simple, if I said random, there's nothing random with God, that's not the right word, my English, my vocabulary's not going to, God decides to do things because God decides to do them. It's called him being sovereign. It's his way of reminding us that he's on the throne and not you. You're supposed to be on the cross daily. Leave the throne to him. And this almost seemed a little bit, well, maybe... If I said a random act, that sounds wrong. There's nothing random, but an act of kindness. His compassion made him speak. And the boy sat up and he gave her, gave him back to his mother. No evangelistic tour, no DVDs, no books. No, no, no. Jesus didn't need that. He's preaching through crowds. Jesus never performed the miracle to draw a crowd. He only had to open his mouth and everybody wanted to listen to what he said. This was a gift to this woman from the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe he was thinking about his own mum. Of course, the story breaks down a little bit with regards to Jesus. Of course, Jesus was not... This, woman, this son was given back to his mother. Jesus wasn't given back to his mother strictly. She saw him rise, of course. But he was given back to his father when he ascended. And he's at the right hand of the father, ever living to make intercession for us. What's Jesus doing today? He's not watching songs of praise whenever that's on, he's praying for us. What's he saying? I don't know if he's saying anything. I think he's standing in the Father's presence 
and the father looks at his hands and the father looks at his feet and the father looks at the thorn marks and says yes that's enough my son so this boy was given back to his mother Jesus was given back to his father and when he got to heaven in Ezekiel we are told that God is sat on the throne. When we get into the book of the Revelation, we find that the Father has moved over and he's made room for the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? The faithful Son who loved not his life unto death as it speaks of the martyrs. Friends, if you're not a Christian tonight, may I assure you of this first of all, that God loves you. May I also assure you of this, that he has a better way for you to live, and that is as a disciple of his son. And are you perfect? Of course you're not. And it's God knows that you're not perfect. That's why he allowed his son to die in your place, that you might put your trust in him. And I would like to do something, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, out of courtesy to you. I'm going to ask us to close our eyes in just a moment. And if you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up as an indicator that you'd like to become a Christian. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I will not call you to the front. Um, there will be those around the room who will make a note of who you are and maybe give you some literature. And we have somewhere here, but um, uh, Gabriel will give you more information about that when I'm finished. But which crowd are you in? Are you following the Prince of Life? Or are you following the victim of death? You're in one crowd. You're either living for him or you're living for yourself. May I say, there is no one better to follow than Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you tonight for a God who just does things because he has a heart. We thank you for a God who can come down and say to Jack, you've had enough. Can say to the boy, rise up, and he does and gives him back to his mother. We thank you for the miracles. We thank you for the centurion's servant where the, the catalyst was faith. We thank you for the catalyst in this miracle, which was the compassion of Christ. The day, Lord, we can understand what you do, we've lost the mystery of your sovereignty. But Lord, there are folk in this room tonight who need to know you. They're not worse than I am. They're not better than I am. They're just in need of forgiveness. They're in need of understanding that their eternal destiny does lie in their hands because God has made a way for them, a way to come to faith and to find peace with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray for this great congregation this evening and these lovely folk who've listened so well I just pray Lord that if there's any here who do not know you that in this moment they will respond not to my message which was so higgledy-piggledy not to the music although it was great but to your love and your grace and your mercy I'm going to ask you to keep you close your eyes if you would I'd like the congregation, particularly any others who are not Christians, have a little bit of privacy. If you'd like to become a Christian tonight, not join this church, although it's a good church to join, but not joining a church, coming to Christ, would you put your hand up, please? 
and I will pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I, I, won't do I see one hand. Thank you. I don't know if there's anyone upstairs. May I'm just, I can sometimes, thank you. Thank you. There may be others. That's great. Well, look, it's not that vital that I see because God's seen your heart. If there's anyone else before I pray, say, Gordon, I need Jesus to be my saviour. Well, you've come to the right place because he is here to forgive and to restore. You may put your hand down now. Father, I thank you for those folk who have raised their hands. I, I cannot see with the lights how many, but I just pray for them all, Lord, that they will know from this moment on the peace of God. They will know that they are loved and they have been forgiven. I pray they will come quickly to a place of assurance of knowing that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. They need do nothing else but trust in him. Amen. Amen.